Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. It's a good day to be alive, good day to share the Word, but I want, I want to be able to share one to get one testimony from last week. You know, we, we call people up to get prayed prayed for, and, and, and I did in the beginning, before we all got, got prayed for and ministered to at the end, I did mention about baby Violet, and so I want to be able to get a testimony on baby Violet, and where's the microphone? Who's stolen from MC microphone? Uh, this one? Okay, come on, Jerry. Come on, yeah. Remember, I'm preaching, okay, so you've got to just... Uh, Maria probably could do this a little quicker than me. You want to? Oh so when I get up here with this thing, it's, to me it's like kind of holding a, a rattlesnake kind of thing. <laughs> but um, so I guess the majority of y'all was here Sunday for the we had the prayer line up here and all. And I told Rod earlier that I was I was coming up. I'll be the first one up because I wanted to stand for my granddaughter. She's been in the NICU and. Jacksonville, I think the day's 102 days since she was born. She's been there, and it's not been it's not been very pretty. I mean, 100 days in a place like that is not good. My daughter's been there with her pretty much the whole time. So I come and get my prayer, and y'all remember Rod, he mentioned about her airways needing to be open because she's been struggling to breathe, and she's had a few procedures done there. Well... He prayed for that first, and I'm going to kind of do the two-part thing. He prayed for that first, and then on the way home, y'all can look this up on Ultraviolet's website. She posts stuff every day about the baby. We're on the way home, and we get this post that is a, it's a video post, little thing sneezing. And the cool thing is my daughter, with her sense of humor, she's got it posted to Mission Impossible in the background. And, and she writes down, there's proof that the airways are open now, enough for her to breathe through, right? Come on. Okay. So, so here's the second part. Rod's, Pastor Rod, I didn't mean to disrespect you there. Sorry. <laughs> so, so Pastor Rod, he... I'm, I'm wanting to jump off of here and go pray for a friend of mine, and he, he stops me. And I think of that moment, I think the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of him because I thought like our prayer was done. And he brings this uh, handkerchief out, right? I don't know nothing about a handkerchief. I've read the Bible more than once, and I, I guess just skipped over me. But in Acts 19, 11, and 12, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away to the sick, okay? So Rod's got this handkerchief out, and we, we wrap it up in our hand, and we pray, or he prays, and I'm, I'm just sitting there, you know, listening to a prayer kind of thing, and um, I take, I put it in my pocket. He told me to take it to her. I put it in my pocket for, it rode in my pocket for five days because I don't never know when a call's going to come. We need to be up there, right? So I went up there Thursday, and right before I left, I sat down with my daughter and I explained it to her. And I said, I like to keep this cloth up here at her crib where can I put it? And she said, well, Dad, just, just tie it to her bed on the end there. So I tied it to her bed. And that night, I guess it was about 6 o'clock, she put the, 
the post out and it says she's had the most amazing day breathing and being content that she's had since she's been in here to the point where me and Chris are going home tonight and sleep in our own bed the first time in 99 days they had been home. Yeah. So, so, and look, I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn or Rod's horn, but I'm, but I'm tooting God's trumpet. Yes. And I know, and I know some of you that was up here, probably maybe y'all didn't get your breakthrough, your prayer, but I'm telling you, keep praying, keep praying, and, and keep the faith that's coming. Amen. Thanks, Thanks Jerry. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know what's also today? Celebrate Ascension Day. And Jesus said, I need to go to the right hand of my Father, and I'm going to go and stay there, and I'm going to pray for you. And so we're on the winning side because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying. And so he says, it's important that you go back to Jerusalem and you stay there until I send the promise. And that's what they did. They went to the upper room and they stayed another 10 days. So it's 40 days to the ascension, then another 10 days until the Holy Spirit comes into that upper room and uh, all heaven breaks loose. And here we are, some 2,000 years later, and heaven's still breaking out on us. And that's exciting that we are part of that and uh, we're involved in that. So I'm excited to share the word this morning. Um, it's, it's the second last part. I've got one more part I want to talk to you about and about the encountering Jesus. P stories in the Bible when people encountered Jesus. And uh, so I want to I pick that up because we're talking about the goodness of God. The theme this year is about God's goodness. And as we focus on his goodness, it puts, it puts faith in our kites. It allows us to soar above those things that are around us. And there's some things that we need to soar above and we need to look down on because we seated in heavenly places, the Bible, when I last read it, it said that. And so every situation we find, we should be looking down on it. And so that's what we need to be doing. And so we've spoken about John. And all these stories have been taken out the gospel of John. I've spoken about John, how he was the, the son of thunder. He's like, he's like, he's like uh, James Hoffey. He's like, I mean, he was, he was rough, tough, and takes nonsense from nobody. And so suddenly God comes and touches his life, and he becomes the apostle of love. And then obviously the encounter of Mary and, and the guests at, 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 the, at, the, at the wedding of Canaan, and how, how God, uh, uh, Jesus worked there. And then the Samaritan person, how Jesus encountered that person. Matthew, the tax collector. All these are, 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 are char challenging characters in, in, in Scripture that, um, that, that Jesus encounters. And then last week we spoke about the lame man. And um, today I want to talk to you about the adulterer that encounters Jesus. And I want you to hear the heart and be, and be that heart of Jesus as we, as we look at the scripture this morning. And I want to read from John, John chapter 8 and starting at verse 1. It says, Yet Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at, at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religion, religious law, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something that, could call, that uh, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. 
They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, (laughs) until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Man, she encountered. She encountered goodness and grace that moment. What did Jesus write in the ground? (laughs) Is that eternal question that I don't know and we always want to know. And it's always been a question. Maybe it was the adulterous partner that wasn't on board to the crime scene. Maybe he wrote that name down there. Maybe, maybe he did that. Holy Spirit has a way of locating us, showing us our heart, reading our mail, plus showing his grace and his love, even to the accusers. So the accusers, he gave them an opportunity to recuse themselves before they would get condemned themselves. And I guess when Jesus stooped a second time, he could have been writing some of the accusers' names. Mike. <laughs> Dash. And write down the sin. Okay, Mike's don't confess anything, okay? Because there's, there's nine Mikes in the house, so that's why I choose Mike. So I don't know which one I'm choosing, okay? Maybe he did that. I'm just saying. It's not, it's not in the Bible. Now this woman encountered the most respectful leader of the day and was full and full of humility. Plus, it was done in the temple, place where people worship before the crowd. How humiliating. They did that to this lady. The enemy will tempt you, the enemy will trap you, and then the enemy will taunt you. I wanna tell you, he'll bait this juicy little bit of sin. You'll bite that sin and then you'll sit with the heartache and the harm and the shame that goes with it. So don't take the bait. She understood that her sin had brought her to certain death. You understand that? That was the law of the day. It was certain death. And she knew that this stop was the last stop as death was evident. Death was evident. She would not see her husband again. She would not possibly see her children or family or friends. She knew it was the end of the road because of the sin she had committed. I want to remind us, because sometimes teachers don't teach it, lecturers don't lecture it, and pastors don't preach it. But you need to understand what an adulterer is. And you need to understand what a fornicator is. Because it is something that is written in the Bible. A reminder that there is a difference between being an adulterer and a fornicator. An adulterer is having sex with another person other than your married partner that you have a covenant with. That is titled an adulterer. What's a fornicator? Fornicator is sex with whoever outside of marriage and you're not married. You're not married 
So that's a fornicator, right? This is tough stuff that you're saying from the pulpit. This is supposed to be a holy place. Yes, this is a holy conversation as well because it has consequences. It has an effect. It has a great effect on our our life. And so we can't gray the lines and blur the lines any longer because it needs to be drawn clearly so we can see it, so we can measure ourselves and find out where we are. I, want to, I don't want to kind of think I'm way up here. I want God to measure me and tell me, Rod, you're right here, and you need to work on a few things. By my grace and by my love, I will help you. And so sex is for marriage. Great newsflash, hey? Great newsflash. <laughs> for pleasure and for procreation in the covenant of marriage. Ah, oh, it's getting a little sticky when I have to say these things, okay? Marriage is an institution set in place by God for man. And there's parameters, and we need to be, understand it. The person caught in adultery encountered Jesus at the hands of, of the religious. This plan was to trap Jesus and was to judge the woman. And this plan would become the life changer to that woman and her salvation. What the enemy wants to plan for destruction in your life God has a unique ability of grabbing it and turning it around for his glory. So no matter where you find yourself on planet earth today, God wants to take you and bring you to that place and allow his grace to touch you and, and, and set you free. So I, wanted you, I want us to have a look at this encounter and take three observations away from it so that it will help us to be more like Christ and allow people to encounter Christ when, when they meet us. And so the first one I want us to see is Jesus is not condemning. In this situation, Jesus is not condemning. Because he says here in, in verse 8, he says, And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because Jesus, with Jesus, we're not under law anymore. We're under grace. Important that we understand that. Jesus also understood that we're sinners. <laughs> we're sinners. Um, and, and this one minister said, you know, as hunters hunt, golfers golf, sinners sin. <laughs> it's just what happens. That's what happens. And uh, Jesus understood sin had a power. Sin had a hold. Sin had a temptation. Sin had a pleasure. Sin has an appetite. Don't try and kid me and say sin is not nice. Because everybody runs to it. They love it. And again, you can't remove the fruit from your life until what you say here, until you change the root. There ain't no change in the fruit. And so you've got to allow Christ to come in and change the root in your life because then, only then, can you see the life-giving power. So in the first world and the third world, there are some differences. And if you've ever gone to these different realms of planet Earth, the third world don't stay in lines. They don't hold the parameters in lines. In the first world, we have lines. You have lines on the road, and you stay within the parameters of those lines when you drive in. Do not consider that when you go to a third world. Went to Haiti, and they can take a two-lane road and turn it into a six-way, one-way. We took Randall there. He was a youngster that we took on a, on a missions trip there. And for just, I just had the sheer pleasure of putting him in the front seat of this, of this tap-tap. 
And I'll tell you what, his eyes, you're we coming to a two-lane bridge and there's six, six lanes of cars coming towards a two-lane bridge. His eyes were bugging out. Because that's what you expect. When you go to a third world, they do not stay in the lines. Yeah, you even got the car that tells you to stay in the lines. It, it, it vibrates in your hand or it even pushes you around. You stay within the white lines. You kind of expect that in the first world. You stay in the lines. And if anybody drifts across when you drive past them, you look at them and you say, hey, you crossed the line. You give them that look because we live in the country where you stay within the lines. Well, I think some people try and stay in the lines. Some people with their device are drifting when they're driving and not staying in the lines. So it is when we are outside of Christ, you expect sin to be prevalent and dominating. And so the accusers in this passage come with a holier-than-thou attitude. But the only one that qualified to be a holier-than-thou was Jesus. He was the only one that qualified there because he was without sin. And like uh, the, the, the scripture says, for God so loved the world. Verse 17 uh, in, that, in, in that same chapter, chapter three, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the, that the world through him might be saved. He, and in verse 18, he says, he who believes in Jesus is not condemned. So there is a heart of non-condemnation coming from God. Paul carries on and writes in Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. You've got to understand, you cannot do this Jesus thing outside of Jesus and try and do this, I'm not going to do sins kind of thing, because there is no ways, if you read Romans 6, you'll find out there is a power that holds you, that coerces you, that manipulates you. There is a bondage that comes in the, in the realm of sin until Christ comes on board and the root changes, only then does a the fruit change. And we've got to understand that. Some people have a difficulty in understanding the no here. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we have different understandings of what no is. But some people say, I have no friends. I have no life, especially when, you, when you're having a baby and you just come out of the uh, uh, delivery. For the next, we just t tell you, for the next eight weeks, it's gonna be hell. I'm just, I just wanna just tell you that for free. And, you, and the mothers come on, I don't even have a life. The only thing I ever do is just feed them, change them, and rock them. And feed them, and change. I said, just feed them powder milk, then you just dust their diapers, you know? So, but you can't even joke with them because they don't have a life. They have no life, no life. <laughs> I have no friends. I have no friends. And then I have no clothes. I have nothing to wear. So there's different understandings of what no is. Valerie worked for an eye specialist. His name is Dr. Sparrow. In fact, there was another eye specialist in town called Dr. Peacock. I don't know, they're all named after birds there. But anyway, they fixed our eyes. And, he, and Val used to do his reception work and to do his accounting. And he would come in and say, man, I have no money. And Valerie knows what's in his account. Anything, one cent below $10,000, he would come in and say, I don't have any money. I have no money. I mean, I'll tell you what, you've got to understand, what is your no? Me, no is zip, nothing, zero. That's what it is. When I have zero and it's zero, zero in my account, I know it's nothing. Then I know it's nothing. And so when we have that understanding that there is no condemnation, 
There's not even a little bit of condemnation, a hair of condemnation. No, no. There's no microcosm of, uh, of condemnation in that very quote from the scriptures that says there's now no condemnation. So a paraphrase is translates, it says, God has declared us not guilty. Powerful. You've got to understand that. Get that in your gut. I am declared not guilty. And some of us have a problem with that. To this one minister, he went to, he, he, was, he was praying and, and, and he was saying, God, thank you for not treating me as guilty. But you and I know that I, I'm a sinner walking in grace. And I know that I'm guilty. And God's response was to, to that was this. Then you are calling me God a liar. Woo. You are either guilty or not guilty. For I'm a God that does not lie. It's important that you get this truth, church. So the, the minister went on and says, God, how can I boldly and honestly declare with full confidence that I am not guilty? He says, because I said guilty upon my son. I laid all the guilt on my son. He paid the full sentence. That's why I can say to you, you're not guilty. Powerful. Powerful, got to understand, when we're trying to dabble and saying, well, I am guilty. No, no, you're not guilty in Christ. You're not guilty. And we need to understand that because that gives you a posture, a, 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 a determination to press through and, and be the goodness of God in every situation. So we've got to understand, God declared on his son guilty. It's powerful. Yeah. The adulterer was freed from guilt, shame, and, and the penalty of sin that moment when he released her. And why, can't she, why could Jesus say that to her? Because he knew in one year's time, I'm gonna cross, I'm gonna be paying for that very sin that you, you were caught in, my girl. I'm gonna pay for it. And I, I, I can declare to you now, go. I do, not, I do not condemn you. Because Jesus went to Calvary. That's the first observation, no condemnation. Second observation is Jesus is not compromising. It's so important that you understand this because the verse 11, it says, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Yes, he didn't go and say, oh, Jesus didn't say, hey, it's okay to live in adultery, carry on. No, he didn't say that. He said, no, I don't condemn you, but stop sinning. He said that to the, to the lame man last week when we spoke about it. Don't go there. Jesus is not condemning, but he's not condoning or compromising. And we live in this world that is very gray. And we excuse it away that we need to stay relevant. I tell you what, compromising, uh, blending in. Don't convict others of how you live. Don't live like that. Don't convict them. We just live in such a way that you do. We are called the light. Everything is love and peace. Trying to be PC, politically correct. I tell you that if you want to go forward with God, you better be BC, biblically correct. Yes. Because otherwise you ain't gonna, it's, you, it's, it, you're going to blur the lines and you're going to lead those others astray. You're going to misrepresent God Almighty who is holy and good and just and kind. We're going to misrepresent him because we live in this place of compromise. But in God, it's yes and it's no, and it's right and it's wrong and it's his way because he wants us not to get hurt, not to get hurt. 
So today, the generation says, ah, oh, you old-fashioned. Uh, that's your morals and your ethics and your standards from yesterday. We must be understanding, tolerant, compromising, and remain relevant. Rubbish. Tell you now, rubbish. Jesus was the most relevant of his time, and he wasn't compromising in any, any such way. That's why Matthew eleven nineteen 19, says, and the son of man, uh, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and they, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So he still was welcoming and loving, and, but he didn't compromise. He, he, he stood his ground. And then Hebrews 7, 26, he was a friend to There we see he is a friend to sinners. But here he says, yeah, Jesus is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He wasn't compromising. He wasn't going to get in the dirt with you. He wasn't going to think like you and behave like you and speak like you. Why? Because I belong to the king and the kingdom. And there's a statue and there's a, a representation that I need to walk. And when you do, people get attracted to that because they like that. There's no, comprom there's no compromising. So when you compromise to be relevant, then you lose the platform to, be, to, to witness. When you compromise to be relevant, then you lose the platform to witness. Because I've seen, and my son is in, a, in an area, and I said, why don't you go to this church? He says, Dad, I can't. He says, because the pastor's the first one drunk in the social times. I mean, he compromises his whole life. Because you know what people that are drunk get done. I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm just talking about compromising your life and your standard. We are ambassadors for the king and the kingdom. We need to represent him. And he's not telling us to do it on our own. He's requiring us to do it in the strength of the Holy Ghost. And he, and he will be able to do that. Lean into it and watch God empower you. Because that's what he, he wants, uh, wants from us. And so... So we're in this world, but we're not of this world, Scripture tells us. Sinners loved Jesus because he remained sinless and still the friend of sinners. That's what happened. I had the, I had the, 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 the job of, of being a maintenance manager for a, a, a chain of, chain of uh, wholesale stores like Sam's and, and Costco called Metro Cash and Carry. And I, was, I, would, uh, I, had, I started with eight branches eventually. I had 16 branches that I had to look after and maintain. And, and, um, and I interacted with the managers quite a bit. And, and uh, they, would, they, they eventually said, what is different with you? Because I'd be challenging them. Because we'd, we'd have to have a meeting and stuff. And, and, and this guy, man, he would speak. And I said, do you kiss your wife with the same mouth you speak with? Because, <laughs> man, it's vile. Hey? And then they'd come back from, uh, from a conference weekend and they would be telling all the, all the, the, the non-covenantal things called adultery that they were involved in. And I said, you know, you, you know what saying that does? It means your words mean nothing. Because I believe you said, for richer and for poorer, for better and for worse, until death do we part. There is a covenant language you spoke to your partner and you broke that this weekend. Whoa. I think we ended our coffee together and off we went, you know. So that's the kind of things. I would not allow them to manipulate me. I tell you, you've got to make a stand. And if it says, well, they would say, well, how come you don't hang around with the, the I mean, the, when the general manager calls you in and stuff like that, I said, I am contracted to work from eight to five and I do all my work. And if I have any problems with that, then they need to confront me. I am not called to go and have drinks with you until eight, nine at night and stay away from my wife and my children. That is not, I'm not contracted to do that. 
and if uh, you give me this check and I'd hold the check, this does not, is not my source, this check that you give me at the end of each month. My God is my source. And so they, they, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know what to do with me. And so, but, you, but if they were, in the, if they were in the pickle, they would be calling me. And so you understand, we can't look like them, smell like them, talk like them, think like them. Can't be like the world because the world, and I tell you, church, don't dabble with this Jesus thing. Get in 100% because then you're a right representation. Then you're not, we, we're, not, we, we, we're not embarrassing the king in the kingdom because of our behavior. And this, if that's what a Christian's like, good Lord, I'll stay where I am. Thank you. No, we've got to be without reproach. And I know we're not going to hit at hundreds. We're going to mess up. Ask Valerie, I mess up. I'm in repenting in sackcloth and ashes before her all the time saying, I messed it up again. I'm so sorry. Why did Jesus highlight sin? Because sin hurts, harms, and holds you down. Sin pays a price. It's called the, 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 the wages of sin is death. It brings death to you. You may, not, you may be breathing and, and, and so-called living, but I tell you what, you're not living in the life and the Zoe life of God because sin has, 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 has got you bound and, and, and bewitched you. And so sometimes when preachers, they have a hard time to, to quote this one scripture in Malachi 2.16, kind of felt led to say it. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. And straight away, they think, well, God hates me because I'm a divorced person. I'm talking to them, this is a bunch of divorced people. It's just, I want you to understand what he's saying. He says, I hate the, the, the process of divorce. Why? Because it hurts. It hurts, your, it hurts you. It hurts your kids. It hurts your family. It hurts your friends. It hurts. I just have a little taste of it when Natalie introduces me to this wonderful man that she's dating, and he treats her, treats her like a princess, and then, and then they, they part ways. Now, my heart, I love this guy. But now they're separated and they're going their own way. And I know it's God, but I'm connected. It hurts me. And I'm thinking, that's what happens there. Just imagine divorce. It hurts. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's challenging. You understand, I always, in a marriage thing, I take two bits of Play-Doh. I take a pink and a, and a blue. And I say, this is two people coming together and becoming one flesh. And I mix it together. And if you stay together, you, two years, you're really mixed. Ten years, you're really mixed. And then when you're 20 years, you're just like totally mixed. And then suddenly you want to go your own way. Now you're trying to take the pink out of the blue. And you're trying to take the pink out the blue. And you go your own way, guarantee you, wherever you go, Mr. Blue, you're going to have some pink in you. And Miss Pink, wherever you go, blue's going to be with you. And then you join red. And man, you have a couple of years of red. Then you say, no, you don't want that. So guess what? Pink, you're walking around with blue and red. Not to say the other guy has gone with orange and purple and every other. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's designed by God, and we've got to make sure we do it right. It's like God saying, I hate car wrecks. Why? Because it hurts people. That's what he says. This whole thing is sin, because it harms, it hurts, it holds, it spreads, it separates, it spoils. Jesus with the adulterer is not condemning, but he's also not compromising. He helps her to freedom. Third thing I observe and I'm going to let Holy Ghost loose on you guys. The work of the Holy Spirit is compassion. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. If compassion rises in your heart, put your money on it. It's God working in you. 
to reach that situation. When compassion wells within you, Holy Spirit's leading you to his work. Walk in it, work with it. Jesus was always moved by compassion. Here in Matthew 9, it says here, when he saw the crowds, verse 36, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This adulterer was caught and humiliated. Jesus had compassion for her. Jesus had, uh, had her as a lost, sinful human. Not a male, not a female. A lost, sinful human was right before him. And something I noticed that he was, he was sitting down and teaching them, but when they threw her in front of him, him and in front of the crowd, he got down even closer to the ground. He got to her level and said, come now, girl. And because and, 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 his heart had so much compassion for her got down there. But who knows what this lady's situation was? Who knows the pain of being a woman in those days were like? They were just a piece of meat. Who knows? Could she feed her children? And she was doing this. Who knows? Does it make it right? Doesn't make it right. But what's her situation? Because her situation changes it from a judgment to a compassion. And so you have a compassion for them. And so we need to understand when the situation changes or you're aware of the situation, compassion normally bubbles up in the situation. It's like the, the guy that, 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 that got on the train with his five children. Just before the train stopped at that station, everything was calm. Everybody was reading their newspaper, reading their book. Everything was calm. Everything was fine. People were having a nod before they're getting home at the end of the day. And then this guy walks in with the child on his hip, crying, and four other kids just gone mayhem everywhere. They are up the poles, jumping under seats, climbing over people. And the dad was just sitting there with a crying baby, staring out the window. And the people are getting agitated. What's wrong with this dad? Can't he get a grip of his kids? I mean, it's just terrorizing the whole um, uh, train and the coach. And eventually the lady nudges and says, sir, sir, can you look at your children? He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He says, I've just come from the hospital and their mom has just died. And he was just like in shock. Do you know, everything changed, but nothing changed. The kids were still going there, but the people's hearts were completely different in that coach area. Why? They stopped and stepped back and looked at the situation. They had no more mom. And the one that hit most was the dad. And the other kids hadn't realized it yet. Everything changed, but nothing changed. The religious leader wanted to trap Jesus, but they crushed a human in the process. Totally crushed the human. Jesus was moved by compassion. And when Jesus came across that widow that was bearing her only son, her only heir, Luke 7, 13 says, and when Jesus saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. He went over to that casket and raised her, him from the dead because that's what compassion does. And then Jesus had, had been with the 5,000 in Matthew 15, verse 32, and Jesus came to his disciples, uh, um, called his disciples to himself, and he, and he said, I have compassion on this, the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Compassion rolled up within him. 
And one day Jesus saw a multitude in Matthew 14, verse 14. And when Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. He had to do something. As believers, when we move by compassion, you have to do something. You have to do something because you're moved. Jesus had two blind men crying out to him as he passed by in Matthew 20, 32. And so Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Sounds like, hey, what do you want, Mr. Lame Man? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. And so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. I tell you what, when compassion touches somebody, they start following Jesus because they know the goodness of God has touched them. So today, as I close, Jesus is not condemning, he's not compromising, but he is so full of compassion. That's how he walked. That's how he still walks. That's how we need to walk. And sometimes we don't know how to do that. Sometimes we don't know how to do that. That's why Holy Spirit's on board. Holy Spirit comes on board and he, and he releases his compassion, gives us his heart and his hand. And so we can do that. I was just saying to Jerry, he, was, he, he wanted to, when I, when I prayed for Violet last, he wanted to go and I, and I grabbed him because I knew there's still something more. And I didn't really know in a microsecond because I, 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 I felt my, thought my pocket was hanging out. So I pushed my pocket and I felt my hanky. And I pulled it out. And I said, this is what we're gonna do. We held hands together. I said, we're gonna pray over this thing because I was reminded of that very scripture that, that, uh, that, that uh, uh, Jerry quoted. But it happened suddenly because you've got to be instinctively listening to Holy Spirit continually because he's going to instruct us. You guys from Arkansas, I'm telling you what, you're going to have opportunity after opportunity and Holy Spirit's going to drop little nuggets in you and just do it. Just be bold enough to do it. I tell you what, do it. And you watch God move and, and, and have his way. So our church, I want to just tell you, as Holy Spirit comes and moves on you and comp with compassion and, and moves on you with his heart, stop and step back and say, okay, what do I do here? What do I do here? Sometimes I'm talking to somebody, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, how do I answer? What do I say? Sometimes he says, I don't want you to say a thing. They're just bubbling up and allowing it come up and I'm gonna heal them because they just, what they say. That's what you gotta do. So if, Maria, are you on the piano? Any, oh, thank you. I'm gonna give you another opportunity today. Anybody that wants a touch from his compassion, we're going to have you come up and we're going to pray for you. I want us to pray. Kate and Jim. Uh, Katie and Jim, where are you? Come on up here, Katie. Jim, come and stand with her. I'm so mindful of the compassion of God for you. He absolutely watches you all the time. He beholds you the whole time, Katie. He understands the pain and the agony of that digestive system that's just tormenting you. And, and working in that earth suit. And he says, I'm not, I, I, my hand's on you, Kate. I am here to lift your head up. Behold me. Press into me. He absolutely loves you. Absolutely loves you. His compassion for you is unspeakable. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's only one of you hasn't forgotten. He says, and so that, 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 that poem with the only two steps in the sand, two, two footprints, one footprint in the sand, he's holding you, he's carrying you. He 
You've got a great man of faith next year as well who believes you. I want to invite anybody else that wants to come up here. Just come on up. Come on up now. Because the anointing of God is right here, right now. Not tomorrow. Not this afternoon. Right now, He's here. The Bible says we're to agree touching anything is done by our Father in heaven. It says that believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. This is what He wants to do and He wants to do it. And you say, well, it's, you know,